Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Maps Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we will be covering, is the Dallas Mavericks 2022-2023 season loss? And by virtue of that, we will be getting into the Mavericks home and home against the Hornets, where they lost the first one at home at the AAC 107-100, to or 117-109, to and the second game in Charlotte, a matinee day affair on uh, Sunday, March 26, where they lost that one, 110 to 104. We are recording this after the Pacers game. We are a little behind on all our podcasts and things of that nature. Just been a little bit busy on our slate of IRL things lately, but nonetheless, uh, we will be having another podcast covering the Pacers game itself, uh, where the Mavericks had a sort of... um, I guess, given these two games, a little pitiful reconciliation of sorts uh, by getting a 20-point victory over a heavily depleted Pacers team without three of their best players. But um, the the Mavericks are still out of the play-in entirely. They are still 11th in the Western Conference, but it does give them a glimmer of hope, as Jaron denoted before the podcast, to uh, maybe make a little bit of a run here. But these these two Hornets games have definitely taken – uh, definitely a huge array of light out of the team and the aura and the, the vibes are, are not ejaculate right now, to say the least, Jaron. Uh, so what was your immediate reaction after these last two games versus the Hornets? I guess before the Pacers game, before the Pacers game happened, how are you feeling in your, uh, in your heart of hearts about this, these two games? Yeah. So you gotta like, we gotta like back this up a little bit. You, you know, we know this team had their struggles and everything, but, I feel like these two Hornets games were just the total summation of everything toppling down and everything becoming, you know, I I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like remorse. You know, you felt hopeless. You felt depressed. You feel all of it. You know, it, you were just wanted to cuddle up in your bed and not do anything all day. You felt, you you just felt hopeless. And I think that's how the, uh, the team felt, uh, throughout those two games but yeah it was definitely a very negative uh feeling but i don't know at some point it's like okay you know is there a future for this team uh it definitely you know after that pacers game it definitely it eases the wounds a little bit better but uh those those still two hornet losses still you know it's kind of like salt in your wound you know you know they, you know what's wrong around. with this team yeah i was like you know what's wrong with this team but those just make it feel much worse and especially the fact that, you know, you fall out of the playing spot entirely. Um, And we know, you know, this team roster wise should be a playoff can playoff team or at least play in team. And I mean, you know, through every uh, headline, every story that we've covered uh, to have that, you know, sort of weekend matchup just kind of smeared in your face was a, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to say other than like just, at that point, it was the lowest point, I think, in Mavericks history, at least probably through the 2010s and 2020s. Like, I don't yeah, know. no, was... I was going to say history is a 
the very bold take we may have some mffls here from the 90s that yeah from the 90s uh, are just um shining a bright light on how young we are and how much we uh, did not suffer through those woes but uh, nonetheless i mean you make a great point despite even that pacers game the mavericks are still I believe a half game or maybe yeah. a game. Uh, no, they're still they're, they're half. Game. They're a half game because one of the teams in that whole race down there didn't the, play last night. It's the Thunder, but they have the yeah. tiebreaker over us. So yes, and we play them very soon, which will be probably the most pivotal matchup of the season, as is every game at this point in the year. But the play-in tournament is only two weeks away. Brad Townsend just tweeted, so I mean it's do or die right now, and the Mavericks uh, subsequently kind of died with those two Hornets games. Can they come back to life? Um, that, that might Maybe that'll be the, the title of the Pacers podcast. Can the Mavericks come <laughs> back to life? Uh, but we will be getting into these two Hornets games and just the vibes and aura of the team and uh, may even go a little bit more narrative-based in this one. Uh, seeing, is there a, a sort of feeble uh, hope that the Mavericks can reconcile their season or is it completely lost after those two debilitating Hornets losses. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron. So getting into both of these games here, the Mavericks kind of missed their mark in the first quarter of both games. In that first game versus the Hornets, they were down 37 to 26 after the first quarter. Uh, In that second game, they were down 30 to 16, and they essentially were trying to play catch up all game, but to no avail. Uh, you could argue maybe the Hornets has some positive regression in terms of their ability to shoot the ball, and they got a few more to drop that they usually wouldn't get. And Gordon Hayward maybe came along more so than he has uh, throughout a sort of injury-riddled season for himself. But otherwise, I mean, it is still pretty um, excuse-free in terms of why the Mavericks uh, should have just taken care of business. What did you get in terms of just the uh, general – vibe from both of these games as the Mavericks were playing catch up in both of them yeah I mean just to summarize the vibe uh, I mean it looked like a defeated team out there you know we've seen this Mavericks team through spurts in different games have these sort of like slow spells or slow starts Uh, but throughout both of these games really just you know outside of the third quarter beginning of the fourth quarter I would say in the second game I don't know. It, it looked like a team that was just not really wanting to play. They didn't look desperate, um, you know, given a team in their situation. And especially with two quote unquote easy games uh, against the Hornets, you know, you would expect them to put them away easily. Uh, and, you know, clearly that wasn't done. But uh, just outside of that, you know, the team, uh, there was no life. There was no heartbeat. Uh, you know, we saw Luca even put up 40 um, in that second. Or I think it was that first game. And it was just. I don't know. It just wasn't, it didn't look like the usual Mavericks team. Um, you know, I, I want to, I think it was Tim McMahon. He was on a, I think hoop wire or something like that. Um, and he was basically like Jason Kidd has no idea what he's doing um, and has no idea how to sort of rekindle this team back. And he, you know, coming out of halftime, that's what he said. Uh, and if that's the case, that's really alarming. I know that this Pacers game kind of changes the, the notation of that a little bit, but even still, um, you know, I know that me and you, we kind of, before these games, it was like right before, or right after the, the Golden State game, uh, we went through the schedule and we we're like, okay, these should be two easy wins. Um, and again, you know, sort of the headline of this year has been, you know, the Mavericks make easy things look really hard. And that's exactly what happened. 
not just that, but also scoring 104 points versus the fourth over like fourth rated defense since the all star break. You mean uh, I think you mean like 26 rated defense technically or whatever. Yeah, four, fourth worst rated defense. Yeah. Um, since the all star break. Uh, I don't know. It's just really alarming. And especially the fact that, you know, you had a fully healthy roster. Um, I, I don't know. Like there's so many different things that, you know, yes, this roster is not, you know, full. We know that we know what their holes are, but for a team like the Charlotte Hornets, who you can argue, you know, are probably the San Antonio Spurs of the East. Just how, how are they exposing the holes of this roster? They're exposing the flaws um, and really just, you know, the pure negatives of this team and they're doing, I mean, props to Charlotte cause they played a hell of a game, but I don't know. Like there's just zero life, zero fight. Um, you know, we, we see the usual energy guys, Josh green, Reggie Bullock, and even they, they had zero intent or a zero, I guess, fingerprint on this game at all. Um, or on both these games for that matter. Um, you know, the second game, I think was a little different than the first and the fact that at least there was a little bit of fight, you know, they got the, the lead at one point. Um, but even still, I, two inexcusable losses. Um, I mean, I guess you can probably elaborate a little more, but yeah, I think that's just probably the overall feeling was a desperate team that just played like, I don't know, at times that didn't even look like an NBA team. Um, I mean, it's kind of depressing, but that's that's the nature of it. I thought that both of these games were really emblematic of all the Mavericks problems in you know this season at large. I do think that, you know, if they were facing anybody, um, I mean, not, not to knock the Hornets or anything, but if they were facing anybody worth a shit, for lack of a better term, then they would have really got rattled because you could see that the perimeter um, and interior defensive woes still persisted throughout both of these games. Uh, but there were definitely more than a few instances where uh, they kind of got lucky with some Hornets misses or, you know, just some you know rookie big men mistakes from like mark williams or something like that like there was a lot of that given the nature of the hornets being a younger team and you know that's not to say that the the mavericks you know just played bad in their entirety but uh it almost seemed as if the hornets won every 50 50 ball and that they were doing whatever it takes to win the game versus the mavericks um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily say it's a stark contrast because, I mean, they were still going through their offensive processes. I, I didn't, you know, we obviously watched both of these games later and I probably got the consensus that the Mavericks just completely went in there and played with like no effort. Um, but I mean, they, they still kind of left it out there, but there were some things I thought they could have done better, particularly like chasing 50, 50 balls and just, it was like really nitty gritty things they, they didn't do. And that's kind of been, uh, emblematic of this team at large all season. Um, but otherwise, it also really points to the fact that this team has no other way to win when their three ball isn't dropping or when one of their best players isn't uh, hitting because we see in a game where the Mavericks defense, whether you want to argue that it was just because the Hornets were uh, missing some some chippies or whatever or some wide open looks or it's because the Mavericks actually played good defense. I mean, scoring-wise at least, it wasn't the most – um, complete asinine of a game from the Mavericks in these two affairs. I mean, 117 in the first game, 110 in the next game. I mean, it's not, you know, great margins that we're talking about here, but in the modern NBA, you know, I guess you can live with that, especially as high powered as the Mavericks offense is supposed to be, you know, despite all the defensive issues, ironically enough, 
that, you know, both of these losses came probably, we can agree, by virtue more so of the Mavericks' offensive issues. And, you know, it just seemed that the Hornets would trap them almost every possession. The Mavericks would attempt to get to the ball to the middle of the floor to her in the four-on-three outlet. They would then pass it out to Josh Green or Reggie Bullock, who, um, or Tim Hardaway Jr., for that matter, more so in the second game. They would then attempt a corner or a wing three, and it would miss, and the Hornets would get in transition and go the other way after, after you know, if it hits the back iron, it's a long miss. And it just seemed that more often than not, we saw those kind of possessions time in and time out again throughout large stretches in this game. And the Mavericks simply didn't have anything to sort of backtrack to when their offense started to get kind of lulled down and went to sleep uh, when they were experiencing these woes in that second game. You know, Luca got hot from beyond the arc uh, at towards the end of the first half and uh, throughout large a lot of the second half. Um, but, you know, amidst two kind of stinkers from Kyrie from a shooting perspective in both these games, which, you know, kind of happens every once in a while, he sort of rekindled himself a little bit in the Pacers game. Um, you know, it, it's just hard for a Mavericks team that's role players are so one dimensional and, you know, can only shoot. They can't do anything off the dribble. And just sort of the structure of this offense, it's not it's not built to handle that. I mean, every time that one of those uh, the Mavericks co-stars get trapped, it's it's not really a, oh, let's try to uh, find a guy in the perimeter, see if he can go to work uh, off a, you know, preemptive closeout because the other team's in a scramble situation and we just caught them off guard. Uh, you know, it, that, that makes it a lot harder for teams to trap Kyrie or Luka, but the Mavericks really don't have any third threat. It's basically, can this guy make a, corner or a wing three or not and if they if they're having an off shooting night then anybody on a, any given night can beat them yeah uh i mean that's uh, very clear uh you know just in particular with that four on three situation you know getting the ball across half court you know i guess to kind of tally back to effort uh in that four on three situation like whether it was Kyrie or luca like it was just bad passes um like either there was just no power in those passes and they're just sort of lackluster slow passes um and by the time it gets to the short roller you know there's already another man on him like it was just sort of situations like that where yeah and then you can get out to transition as you pointed out um but yeah I mean this team their one dimensionality was definitely exposed and I mean it's been exposed time and time again this year but through these two games it was just kind of like I don't know like I I mean, there's really no better way to put it, but Charlotte looked better than the Mavericks at some point. Uh, it was, you know, especially in that second game, whenever they were sort of clawing back into it and, you know, they eventually had the lead at one point or I think at multiple points in the game. Um, but yeah, it just kind of looked like, uh, not that they were playing with their food, but that, you know, whenever Charlotte actually wanted to start playing some basketballs, whenever that lead would get, exp would get, uh, would grow a little bit more. Um, and again, I don't know, you know, I, I don't think that was necessarily, a, yes, you know, you have your defensive woes. We we know those happen and everything, but at the same time, the offense was just so rattled, so disjointed that it, it just wasn't even worth, you know, not worth, but it just wasn't even, you know, I, I don't even know the best way to put it. Like, it, it was just like Charlotte's not a good defensive team, clearly, but they looked like they were, they had one on the Mavericks. Um I don't know. It was the fact of some scramble defense uh, and just some really bad either shot making or really bad passing um, throughout those two games that really just kind of let the Mavericks be bait. Um, and 
like I said, you know, there's certain situations in each of those games. Um, yes, you know, you had some positive regression in terms of the Hornets. Yes, you had some pretty solid defense out of them. I mean, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, like those are some guys that definitely stepped up, but that's still not an excuse, uh, especially for a team that I think going into these two games was like 23 and 51 or 24 and 51. Yeah. Um, it, it, like I said, no excuse. Uh, I guess, you know, after these two games, like what was your – full summation like did you think that the season was over like I, I, how did you 100% think of the season or what did you think was left in the season uh, after these two games um I think that in terms of the rest of the season that I definitely you know started questioning the validity of the roster that the Mavericks had constructed of course uh just given the vibe after these two games I mean like just what is the direction in terms of roster construction there um was this a summation of you know years of you know marginally losing out in the roster construction battle uh year after year and then the uh sort of ultimate version of that being the Kyrie trade and then not having no role players to surround you know your your star study cast of him and Luca with I, I, I kind of started questioning that. Obviously, the questions arose if they're going to make the playoffs or not. I think I have some questions regarding Jason Kidd's ability to invigorate um, a sense of drive into this team. I don't even necessarily – I may not be as harsh as other people where I felt as if there was just no effort from the Mavericks in these two games. I mean, I still thought that they kind of played hard. There were some 50-50 balls, as I alluded to, that I think they could have – Went after a little harder, but it at large, it's undeniable to say that this team does have a lack of a sense of, sense of urgency right now. And things just tend to kind of just fall by the wayside in terms of their importance in the middle of an NBA game in a tightly um, log jammed Western Conference towards the end of the year where every game is so important. The Mavericks, you know, if they have a turnover, they're slow to get back on defense. Um, you know, Luca and Kyrie at the point of attack, they kind of had some mishaps um, that they just kind of let go, things like that. And, uh, you know, some of the um, just not getting back on transition defense after complaining about a foul call, stuff like that, uh, that just cannot persist at this stage in the season. And I, I don't know if that's emblematic of the players just not opting to do that and just, or if it's Jason Kidd's inability to reach them. But I think all those sort of, questions arose for me after these last two games and um just what you know it obviously the biggest one being is this team going to make the playoffs or for that matter the play in at this stage I, I think is on everybody's mind even after the Pacers game is there a half game back out of the 10th spot and the Thunder hold the tiebreaker over them at 37 and 39 but it's just uh, it's a very can confusing sort of situation to sift through given what we thought this team's uh would be at at this point in the season what we expected them to at least you know at least be in that you know top end of the play in territory at the absolute least had we you know predicted this at the beginning of the year i don't think anybody really saw this coming yeah. uh, this sort of drop off from you know a 23 year old superstar um after having just came off of a western conference final so a lot of different uh, sort of conflicting narratives and emotions, I guess, through my head is 
what I would tell you in, in regards to the uh, response to your question. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely agree. I think if you're looking at this completely big picture, what we thought the floor for this team was, you know, even after the Kyrie trade, um, I think that, you know, both of us, if not everybody in the Mavericks community kind of figured that this was probably impossible to reach. Um, and yet again, you know, the Mavericks found a way to, you know, prove the the possibilities of impossible. Um, and, you know, it's not the most positive thing ever, of course, you know, but uh, again, I don't think anybody would have predicted that the Mavericks would be 37 and 39 or whatever they are after the Pacers game, um, sitting half a game out of the play in spot with six games left to play. Um, I really don't think anybody could have predicted that. Uh, and if I'm being completely honest, you know, adding a, another star to the team, I figured at very worst, you know, you're sitting in a playing spot, you're, but you're probably like the seventh or eighth seed in a plan, but it, very realistically, like this team's looking at, you know, probably that last playing spot, if not second to last. Um, I know, you know, the Western conference is still very conglomerated or, uh, very, uh, you know, compact and very sort of intense and everything, but uh, I, I don't know. I still just don't see first off an option where this team can make it out of the plan and with that being said I don't see them you know having a future uh at least this season where you know the playoffs is legit shot where you know you you have a chance at the second round uh to me like especially after these two games like I think it just exposed how flawed this roster was And, and you know and again like we knew this how flawed it was but the NBA as a whole I mean you know I would just say that's probably the biggest takeaway is that this team, this roster is clearly not built for the long run. They're clearly not built for, you know, winning games or whatever it is uh, because again, fourth quarter give up or uh, losing the lead in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter moments, you know, we've seen it all this season, but these two games definitely just, I guess, uh, I mean, you said it, these two games just kind of led every narrative uh, that's come out this season. Um, and this is only fitting, I would say that, you know, of course it's Dennis Smith Jr., but he was the one that kind of closed out the games. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's only fitting, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, this is one where it's probably the lowest moment. Like I said, probably since the, um, I mean, heck maybe since, you know, since the 2007 playoffs. Um, and again, I wasn't, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't cognitive, but. The, b- like, so would you say that the like end of 2010 seasons were, you know, I guess really the two years towards the end of Dirk's career where we were kind of effectively tanking for Luca, uh, maybe it, for instance, like the 2016-17 and the 2017-18 uh, season, you wouldn't say that, See, but we we knew those rosters were going to be bad. Like this is a roster that, you know. Yeah. First yeah. off, we were sold the narrative that this team had no had no floor of being out of the plan. We were sold the narrative that you know Kyrie and Luca were going to be and like not that we were sold the narrative. Like we knew that they were going to be a good duo, but like I, I don't know. Even just this off season where you know the whole ball handler situation, like situations like that, and. I don't know. It's only fitting that we're in the spot that we are now because it's kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's just a big gulp of food coming back up yeah. uh, for this Mavericks team. Cause they're having to revisit every single sort of flaw and failure that this roster has had over the last Everything few years. Everything that we tried to, yeah. at, well, we would, uh, <laughs> we, we sort of shed a dim light upon 
uh, during the offseason and had criticisms at large of and then tried to sort of pseudo justify because we just wanted to make ourselves feel better. All those yeah, narratives exactly. coming to the top, to say the least. I, I want to get your um, thoughts on Kyrie and Luca specifically, because there's obviously been just because of Kyrie's, you know, recent two games before this Pacers game where he sort of reconciled himself. I thought Kyrie and Luca have really had no issues from an offensive perspective. Uh, I thought if anything, they've, they've been a little bit better at integrating each other uh, in terms of like their, some of the schematics that go into them playing, you know, with each other and some screening scenarios, you know, having one of them act as the outlet in the four on three scenarios. I I've honestly thought they did a little bit better of a job offensively in that, from that aspect. And we've seen them work together at large through a lot of these games, despite the Mavericks roster really not being able to make up uh, the ground, but uh, what do you, there's obviously a lot of national media narratives. So I figured I at least asked the question. What do, you, what do you think of the Kyrie and Luca fit at the moment? And do you think that in totality, the trade was worth it? And do you think the Mavericks won the trade up until this point? If we're now that we're, I mean, you know, looking back to the deadline from to now. Uh, I, like, look, I know every big, you know, media head, um, even Vince Carter, I think it was, came out and was like, this is broken. This experiment failed, whatever. I'm in the department where, you know, first off, there's not a big enough sample size. Second off, I don't think it's the duo. I don't think it's Kyrie. I don't think it's Luca. Um, like, yes, I think there's some leadership leadership factors as to why this team is in the position that they are in right now. But I really don't think it's their, them two um, that the, the fault should fall on. If anything, I, mean, I know, simply think like Kyrie had two bad games. Yeah. Um, yes. Against very depleted Hornets rosters. And it really wasn't. Uh, the most necessarily idealistic scenario to have had these games with about seven regular season games left and the Mavericks um, ever needy for wins. But I, I, if you look at large of how they've played together, I would probably like go look at their two man lineup data, some of the offensive rating stuff there. I, I would presume that the numbers would probably be good because they've played well together. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just, um, some of the moving parts around them are, are what the Mavericks are trying to figure out. And to anybody that shares a different opinion on that or um, can't, you know, see the ins and outs of that, then, you know, I would just encourage you to watch the games heavier. I, I'm not going to necessarily knock anybody specifically because at the end of the day, you know, we can't cover every, every single other NBA team. And there's probably some narratives that we've, um, presumed having not watched games that may be incorrect or we yeah. sort of rode the pine on some of these national media narratives, but um, some of these talking heads, um, you know, in the national media, it's, it's your job to be able to be as informed about every team as possible. So, you know, it lies on them, but they, they sort of, you know, they, they move the tar ever so slowly on stuff like that. So it, it is what it is. Um, but I, you know, to any Mavs fans out there questioning if the actual fit itself is bad. Um, I, I don't think it is now, you know, you can argue if Kyrie um, was the right long-term move for the Mavericks, uh, if they should have went all in at the trade deadline and then not had anything to back it up. Those are obviously very valid questions. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still of the opinion that he's too good of a player to just pass up on, especially with the package that the Mavericks are able to get. I, I don't have any, gripes with it I, I definitely do have gripes though with the fact that the Mavericks obviously didn't address those 
um, other roster issues at the trade deadline or at least attempt to. Or, you know, if they don't do it this summer, that's even a bigger thing at large if, if that's assuming Kyrie even resigns, which, you know, it, it just sucks because at this stage in the season, there's just so many uncertainties when, you know, even with Kyrie coming, you know, you, you presume that there would still be some gray area as to what was going to happen in the offseason and what this team ceiling would be. But I, I think we at least thought that they had this sort of uh, finite floor of being at least a play-in team. And we don't even know if they're going to be that at that point. So that's why I kind of wanted to shed some light upon the standings at the moment. The Mavericks are 37 and 39, half a game out of the play-in. The Oklahoma City Thunder, who hold the tiebreaker over them, as Jaron alluded to, are 37 and 38. Um, The Los Angeles Lakers, who the Mavericks hold the tiebreaker over, are 37 and 38. But the Lakers, of course, hold the tiebreaker over the Thunder. so, So they are ahead of them currently. Pelicans are a game ahead of both of those teams at New at uh, 38 and 37. The Warriors, who the Mavericks watched, uh, lost that ever important game to, I think it was like a week ago, are 39, 37, and the Timberwolves and the sixth seed are 39, 37. Who hold the, they hold the tiebreaker over the Warriors. Um, the Mavericks are a they are two games out of the sixth spot if you're looking at it uh, opportunistically, and you know the fact that it, there's really not too much separation between these teams, but uh, the, the sort of marginal separation um, as we tread along this, this path of games as the regular season ends um, it is a lot more than you would probably, than it probably seems at face value because of just how little games are left. Given those teams I just listed, what do you think is the, the best route the Mavericks could get in terms of making the playoffs at this point? And uh, who do you think are, some of the viable opponents they may uh, face or like what is the best uh, sort of route to making the playoffs if they do have to go through this uh, sort of this sort of playing gauntlet of um, Western Conference opponents towards the sort of middle of the Western Conference standings. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like clearly this team is at this point in the season a play-in team. Um, I mean, realistically, if they can grab the 10 or nine spot, if we're looking at plan in particular, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a Timberwolves or Pelicans sort of match up in that first round. Now, those are some, you know, pretty, pretty good opponents, especially New Orleans. You know, I, I know that they got Zion and Alvarado back. So, so do you think uh, that the Mavericks, you said that the Mavericks are a playing team, you think with certainty yeah. that they're going to make the play in? I don't know if there's a certainty. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, best like case that, scenario, that is if you had to bet on it, you would bet on them making the play in and then I, I would bet it. on them. I would bet on them being a play in team. Uh, I mean, there's still six games left in the season, but I would I would put my money on that. The Mavericks make the play in spot um, again. I think more realistically, it'd probably be a 10 or nine spot, but I, I would put my money on that spot. Um, now, you know, that's what I'm trying to say is like opponent wise, who they'd probably likely play is New Orleans, maybe Golden State or the Timberwolves. Um, I think that's probably more feasible. Um, and let's say, you know, best case scenario, you know, of course, in the playing spot, you're only going to make a seven or an eight spot uh, out of that. I think that they probably make the eight spot and they're probably or, I mean, they're going to play Denver, um, which I'm sorry, but I don't think anybody sitting in that bottom half of the uh, top eight teams in that can probably beat Denver in the Western Conference. You think the Mavericks um, can get out of the play-in as it is in the first place? Uh, do I Do I think so? I don't really think so. Um, you don't like, think I'm going to be like, honest. You think, I think that they could, 
if the Mavericks are somehow able to make the seventh or eighth seed, which that seems pretty unlikely at this juncture, yeah, uh, just given the strength of schedule of everybody and how those remaining teams, um, you know, have been faring over the last week or two, especially with the Timberwolves catching heat, things like that. Um, I, I don't know if they can win. You know, I, I think they could probably beat anybody in a one-off scenario, as a, as could anybody in the play-in, just because of the nature and the structure of it. Uh, so if they are able to make the seventh or eighth seed, I'm I'm a little bit more because then they have two chances at that point to yeah you know I, so I wouldn't be as hard pressed to you know think oh they're completely doomed, um, but if they fall to ninth or tenth, um, then their only option at that point is to make that eight seed, and they have to win two games just to make the eight seed. I'm definitely going to be questioning at that point um one thing one like thing that. that i'm interested in uh because i do feel like this is a play-in team there's three games max that you know you can play in a series in the plan i'm intrigued to see mm. you know for the other team there's, oh, only, there's only two, two. you okay. can only play two. Okay. yeah okay well then never mind but I, i'm intrigued to see you know can this team or like how how easily dissectable is this team i guess um like is this team really one-dimensional yeah, when it matters most, yeah. Is that team really that one-dimensional? Because I, I know Jason Kidd has come out, and he's like, the regular season sort of address rehearsal. You know, you're not showing everything out. You're waiting until the playoffs to show everything. So I'm wondering, you know, if Only they pull some magic trick the out of their Kidd hat. Narratives. Yeah, I know. I'm wondering if they pull the magic magic bunny out of their hat or whatever. But, um, but it's <laughs> weird because we've sort of seen the issues of this team uh shift right because uh, i mean they they still persist like this team still has that one dimensionality but Kyrie sort of takes some of that aback like his scoring punch and you know having such a dynamic duo offensively more more often than not sort of takes that away but the defensive issues given dorian finney smith leaving things like that have you know came at ever much more of a premium as of recently and our the way we talk about this team kind of shifts from that sense because we're more so, you know, talking about that than anything else. And it's just funny with these two Charlotte losses that it's the Mavericks one dimensionality on offense more so that ended up coming back yeah. to really uh, kick them in the ass at the end of the day. Because if you look at the, um, you know, previous losses that they've suffered throughout this stretch and really just like these last 10 to 15 games, it's more been a microcosm of uh, their defensive woes than anything. Something that we've harped on ever since the trade deadline, the all-star break, but, um, you know, and I, I don't think that those defensive issues have left the table. I think that the Hornets uh, simply had, you know, two, um, you know, pretty like mundane games offensively from a variety of different perspectives where they just kind of missed some open shots they should have made. But it was still like those issues are still on the table. So, I mean, it, it's obviously a very sketch situation. And, you know, I, I think we've covered it at nauseum, but at the end of the day, there's there's not much more we can do than just wait and see and yeah, uh, no, address I mean, things from there because it's just so tightly packed at this point. There's no large takeaway other than our assumptions that we really have here, mm-hmm. you know. It's, and we we had assumptions about the final nine games, and those assumptions are already, um, you know, relegated yeah. to the past because we figured that this would be a one and one at the very worst and a 2-0 and stretch against the Hornets, and clearly, you know, that didn't happen, but – it got so bad, guys, that I even made a draft board. So, <laughs> uh, that that that, that is that's forbidden content. You cannot show that on the YouTube until <laughs> April tenth, Jared. Come on. <laughs> what is this? Uh, by by no means are 
Jaron and I co-founders of hashtag team tank, but uh, I mean, like we've, we've addressed this in other podcasts. If, if it happens and you know, it happens and we'll, we'll gladly take it, but just given the nature of the Mavericks and having Kyrie and Luca on this team, um, like it's just unreasonable to and unfair to the guys, you know, particularly on this team at this stage in their career to ask that they, um, go along with that agenda and, and there's going to be no shutting down. The Mavericks are, are trying to win games here. And that yeah. I think that that's what makes this even more depressing is that they, yeah, exactly. they are trying to, to win games and there's still like two games, three games under 500 at all times. Let's talk about some guys from this Hornets and Mavericks game uh, before we end the podcast that, um, you know, you were impressed by from, I guess, both sides um, because, you know, I think, you know, this next podcast that we do over the Pacers game, we'll get a lot more, into um you know covering basketball in its in itself again uh when we can talk about the game do a full podcast and then also talk about some of this big picture stuff at large we try to avoid big picture stuff in a lot of these podcasts but uh just given the state of things with six games left at this point and the Mavericks dire situation it's, it's kind of unavoidable and it's not something that we can just throw by the wayside and be like oh we'll just see what happens in the future well you know the time is now so uh, <laughs> whether they make the playoffs it's all it's, a, it's we're about to find out um how that situation evolves but um you know we we've talked about the fact that the Mavericks shouldn't have lost these games and you know even against this Hornets team they they probably outmatched the Hornets just given the star power of the Mavericks um and that what surrounded them even though, uh, you, you know, the Hornets were missing some of their better players, things like that. Uh, the Mavericks still, despite all their woes recently, definitely outmatched them. Uh, who were you impressed by? I guess we'll talk first from a Charlotte perspective throughout these two games, because I do think that there was something to the effect that they kind of caught the Mavericks off guard. We talked about why it's still the Mavericks' fault at the end of the day, but who were you impressed by uh, from the Hornets' perspective throughout these two games? I think, you know, this was honestly a guy that I was kind of pining towards or pining for uh, during the trade deadline. But P.J. Washington, uh, I mean, I felt like he brought an intensity. I felt like he brought a pressure, uh, especially on the offensive end that, you know, not a whole lot of guys you even in the league can really do uh, just from a, you know, single handed perspective. I know in that second game, his sort of percentage kind of dropped off, but even still, he found a way to get things done, Uh, you know, even rebounding. you know, defensively, I didn't really pay he's too much on their, on their side. He's a, no, he's a, he was an excellent one-on-one and team defender, I thought, in both of these games. He he had, like, one weak side uh, block where he came from behind. On a yeah, guy. yeah. I mean, he picked up Luca a lot of the time. And, I mean, Luca's inevitably going to get past guys when they're playing one-on-one defense on him. But there were a lot of stretches where he was the, the catalyst in some of those trapping scenarios that uh, caught the Mavericks off guard when they had some of those lazy turnovers. And on the flip side of things, his post-up game was excellent. He, he made a few mid, mm-hmm. mid-rangers, was a good spot-up shooter. I mean, uh, just talk about his ascension as probably uh, one of those, you know, he's in the sort of, well, you know, when this guy, for instance, is is kind of on, um, he, he's almost like a Jared Vanderbilt, but is but he's also kind of polished offensively at the same time. It's get, I don't know. I, I, I would love to have this guy, but I don't think that'll ever happen, of course, but I mean, just what of just one of the uh, ultimate role players in the NBA if he ever gets yeah. um, at you know if he's ever relegated to having to be one or two spots down on the totem pole instead of having to lead his team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because yeah, in the role that he's given in Charlotte, especially with you know Lamelo, Terry Rozier, 
uh, and a handful of other guys out. Like he's having to lead the team uh, outside of like the veteranship of Gordon Hayward, but he's having to be like the main, main score uh, down low being like the main center on the court at pretty much all times. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see his play style because he can really score down low. His post scoring, his post range is honestly really impressive. Um, and yeah, even defensively, he kind of surprised me a little bit. Like I said, I didn't really pay too much on the Charlotte defensive side, but uh, I was honestly really impressed with what I saw out of him. Yeah, no, 100%. What do you think about some of the other guys uh, from the Hornets and how they fared? Uh, you, any of their big men? What do you think of Mark Williams throughout both of these games? Yeah, I mean, I, Mark Williams, uh, I want to say he had kind of like a rough start to the season, uh, but he definitely picked things up, especially in that second game. Uh, is where we kind of saw him sort of, not shine, but where we saw his best game, I would say. Uh, he was able to pick up 16 rebounds. Like his his intensity on the boards was just really, honestly, pretty crazy. Um, and yeah, he had that one possession where he grabbed like three rebound, three offensive rebounds, and then finally got the shot up. But uh, I, I would just say his intensity was probably the be- the biggest thing that surprised me. No, 100%, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of these young players definitely played above their means. Uh, you know, JT Thor, he made some threes that were uh, really essential for them down the stretch. Obviously, we talked about Dennis Smith Jr.'s sort of resurgence. You know, he's still experiencing some of those shooting woes that played him, but, I mean, he just looks a lot more polished defensively in his his whole dribble drive game. And, you know, should the Mavericks have lost to these guys um, in the fashion that they did both games? No, but that's not to uh, sort of just disregard how, how good that they looked in both games. Like Teo Maladon, he looked very good. Uh, defensively and his abilities, particularly in that second game to penetrate and his shooting looks a little bit better. Um, just they, they have a sort of conglomerate of guys that, you know, maybe aren't just the reason that you're 2451 is because they're just not good enough uh, all put together. But, you know, a lot of these guys could definitely be role players at the end of a lot of benches like Steve McKayluk, you know, decent defender, really good, you know, spot up and off the dribble shooter. Uh, Nick Richards, he didn't play in the second game, but he was also a really good, um, just rim running big. Uh, we obviously talked about Gordon Hayward. You know, he just sort of had a um, throwback to his prime out of nowhere for these last two games. Um, even James Booknight got going a little bit in that second game, but he he kind of looked like a quite the albatross to at large stretches. Kai Jones, a really athletic big. I mean, he has a lot of things to figure out, but he's he's not the most um, he, he's not the worst prospect to have on your team. And I don't know, they just got a lot of younger guys and they're still missing a lot of guys at the same time, but I was still readily impressed by their performances. You know, I, well, I do think that the Mavericks off obviously fell victim to themselves throughout most of these two games. There, there is something to the effect of how good the Hornets played um, throughout these affairs. So, yeah. Um, what did you think of how the Mavericks fared in the, these two games? I guess we'll just uh, sort of divide this, uh, the, the dichotomy of this, into, you know, negatives and positives. What did you think of – were there any positives, I guess we'll start out with, uh, throughout these two games from the Mavericks? If you – maybe like Jaden Hardy, any guys like that that actually impressed you despite uh, probably the two worst games of the year? Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think anybody uh, – I mean – I feel like Jane Hardy had a decent game in that first one, a little inefficient, but uh, regarding that, like I, I really wasn't too impressed out of anybody other than Luca, of course. I mean, he had a 35 and then of course a 40 point game. Um, I mean, that second game, kind of, it, that first game, it st- still kind of looked like a quiet 35 in the sense that yeah, he yeah. a lot of lackadaisical turnovers. 
um, was kind of forcing and willing his way there almost. But that that second game, man, he, he just got hot shooting. No, I mean, definitely. Um, and then, of course, in that second game, I was honestly really impressed with Tim Hardaway. Um, just the fact, I guess he had a super inefficient game, like a Tim Hardaway game. But, I mean, he was really the only guy off the bench that was able to produce anything. Took some charges. Um, and I, I just thought he generally, like, stayed pretty poised. Uh, coming off of that right foot soreness injury, it was impressive that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he, he still made some threes and he didn't let those, he didn't let a variety of shots not falling. They were kind of going in and out and sometimes uh, stray away from his offensive flow. He was still taking good shots, which was, you know, that's always important when he's playing. Yeah. And then uh, in that second game, another guy that kind of uh, honestly really surprised me was uh, Maxi. I was honestly really impressed with him in that fourth quarter. I feel like he did everything right. Yeah, no, 100%. He, uh, you know, he, he had a rough outing in that first game, but he definitely uh, clutched up. He made a few threes. He's playing decent defensively. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's still getting blown by at times when he's getting switched on the smaller guards, but when he had to backtrack and, you know, try to contain Mark Williams throughout certain stretches, he was doing fairly decent. Um, obviously, we talked about how Kyrie just had, like, really bad shooting games in both of these. Uh, Dwight Powell barely played in that second Horns game, only had four minutes. Uh, I don't know if there's any sort of injury things there. It didn't even it wasn't even a foul trouble thing. I thought that he kind of just was. I don't know what it was, but I, I guess the Mavericks just uh, did not want to see him get worked against by Mark Williams or whatever. Uh, you know, Hardy was readily impressive in both of these games, but I thought you know the Pacers game was where he really went off, which we'll get into later. He still, you know, is you see though in these Hornets games why he still deserves minutes even if it's not a game where he, he's really put on a premium and asked to score a lot, he, he can still warrant a lot of minutes, right? Um, just by, you know, his length and athleticism, things like that. And, you know, even if he's not always in the right spot, he, he still looks good. Um, Justin Holiday, I thought, has been playing pretty um, bad offensively. He's just not really finding his mark there. He's missing a lot of threes. Um, doesn't really have much to go to outside of that. But, I mean, he's still defending well. Christian Wood, I mean, his minutes are like up and down in every game. It seems like at this point with Jason Kidd, I don't even want to get into that whole aspect. We just covered yes. that too much that stretches this season. I think in the Pacers game, we'll divulge a little bit more into, is there anything Jason Kidd can do in regards to lineups at this point in the season? Because it almost seems as if we tried everything at one point or another, even if we do think things may have not got a good enough sample size together. Uh, but I think Christian Wood's played okay. Um, you know, there's still been some def- defensive mishaps, but then there's also – you know, he's getting switched onto those uh, wings and guards and he's still having good defensive possessions, but he's just not really been, been put on a premium in offense, but it just seems up and down. Like one game, he'll get a decent enough minutes uh, and he'll be able to close down the stretch and then the next game he won't. So it's just been a weird complex and it's just too tiresome to even get into. Josh Green, it's a guy, I mean, he's been defending a little bit better, but I mean, he's just been a net, just a net nothing offensively, essentially these last five games he's not even looking for his own offense and his dissension as an offensive player and his inconfidence is something that I I do want to get into in another pod because it's been definitely just a weird uh, revert back to whatever he was over these last few games and I don't know if that's something that's going to be there by the playoffs but that's been part of why the Mavericks have been so one-dimensional in these last couple couple games is because Josh Green is just out there he's not even a three and D player he's just a Rookie or second year Josh Green will take one shot a game, you know, attack, attacking off a closeout. That's kind of wild. Um, defends wildly, is out there to take fouls, um, but just doesn't really do yeah. the, the things that we've seen from him this season. They're just uh, 
I, I, I don't know what exactly happened, but his, his dissension has also been something that's really plagued the Mavericks over this recent stretch. Reggie Bullock, he had a pretty mundane uh, game in both of these. You know, he's been defending pretty well, as he has been over the last few months, uh, but just not the best shooting games from him. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of reverted back to – I haven't watched the Pacers game yet, but he def, didn't he uh, have a better game against Indiana? Yeah, he had a, he had a, a way better game. Yeah, so – I mean, that's just seems as if it's just sort of a two off games. You know, that that's part of the Mavericks sort of issue is they can't survive off games from some of their uh, better players. You know, they have nobody to step up off the bench, essentially. Um, but yeah, uh, that that's sort of just how everybody fared and things of that nature. Uh, the Mavericks made a little bit. They tinkered with their lineups and stuff in the Pacers game, which we'll be getting into in our next podcast. Uh, but these are obviously two. Huge stake, depressing win towards the end of the season as the Mavericks uh, trudge along and try to get into the play-in tournament and subsequently the playoffs. It, it's just uh, it's a, a de- depressing complex, even with this Indiana game, how, how these two matchups fare. Do you have any other thoughts before we end the podcast here, how the Mavericks um, situation has culminated up until this point, Jern? Uh, I mean, I don't really think there's much to add. I feel like we've kind of covered everything, but um, definitely – I think that this is for sure the low part of the season. Um, I mean, it looks like that we're on the better end of it, but who knows? Um, we saw Maxi have a buzzer beater and then we lose four straight. You just never know. So one step um, and eight steps back, essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what it kind of seems like. So yeah, but uh, otherwise we'll be back covering the Indiana Pacers game as well. We'll be be releasing both of these podcasts at the same times. And then we'll be back covering the 76ers game tomorrow night as every game is essential as the Mavericks. Um you know, go ahead and get towards the play-in tournament here if they even make that or if we're doing exit interviews on April 10th. We'll just have to see <laughs> how everything happens, but it's a very weird complex and there's not much else we can do but be depressed and sort of wait and see what happens. But every game is the same depressing story or it's a sort of one one jump back into normalcy and happiness and then you get uh, thrust back into the uh, – into the weeds and that could very well happen in this Philly game. So we'll be, we'll be back. Of course, you guys cover the Patriots game and that, of course, but uh, otherwise, if you guys haven't had a chance, make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs, make sure to like comment and subscribe on YouTube. If you guys are watching on YouTube, shout out to the YouTube game comment. Will Joel Embiid play versus the Mavericks? I believe he is out either tonight or the other night versus the nuggets. Um, he's, he's trying to stat pad, get his MVP stats up. Will he be on display against the powerless Mavericks front court? Um, otherwise, <laughs> uh, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. We are available on almost any platform. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and to subscribe. We would really appreciate the feedback, especially if you listen this far in the podcast. It means the world to us, truly, even despite the Mavericks not meaning the world to us because they just let us down constantly, time in and time out. But otherwise, we will catch you guys. Um, after this Pacers podcast and of course after tomorrow night's game against Philly mainstream Mavs signing out bye